Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Lessons in Leadership, part two. All right, so toward the end of his third missionary journey, you remember he's on his way to Jerusalem. He doesn't want to be late for the Feast of Pentecost. What does the Apostle Paul do? He makes a pit stop in a little, called town, a little town called Miletus. And so Miletus, if you remember from last week, was located near the beautiful Aegean Sea on the western coast of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And it was about 30 to 35 miles south of the city of Ephesus, where Paul spent three years of his life. And so the distance from here, Port St. Lucie, to Jupiter is about the distance from Ephesus to the north to Miletus in the south. Paul gets to Miletus, and he's got a burdened heart for the leaders of the church. So he sends a message up to Ephesus, to the elders in Ephesus. And he's like, come on down, guys. I'm in Miletus. I'm not gonna be here for long, but I wanna spend some time with you. And so if you remember, Paul had already spent two to three years of his life with these men, these elders. He had led them to Christ. He had discipled them. He had mentored them. He had poured truth into their lives. And when they showed that they were ready and called by the Holy Spirit, he laid hands on them and he made them elders. And now he's saying, come. Come on down. I want to spend some time with you. I want to talk to you. I want to further encourage and equip you in your leadership role. All right? And so if you weren't here last week, you missed this. But Paul's address to the Ephesian elders in chapter 20, verses 18 through 35, is one of the richest passages in the entire book of Acts. And so it's filled with leadership lessons, not just for elders 2,000 years ago, but for any leader in any generation because the principles in this address are timeless. Amen. Here's what you need to know. All of you guys are leaders at some level. And so all of us, can apply these truths to our lives. And so last week we made it from verses 18 through 21. We pulled out four leadership lessons. This week we're gonna go from verses 22 all the way to the end of the chapter. We're gonna pull out an additional six leadership lessons today. So Paul's in Miletus. He sends the message up to Ephesus. Guys, come on down. Let me spend some time with you. They're excited, so they load up their donkeys, they saddle their donkeys, camels, whatever, maybe they sailed around the Cape, but we don't know how, he, how they got there, but they wanted to see their mentor, the Apostle Paul. And in verse 18, they show up. So look at verse 18 now, by way of review, quick review. And when they came to Paul, he said to them, imagine a room full of pastors. He says, you yourselves know how and what's the next two words? How I lived. Now, why is that important? Because we learned last week, leadership lesson number one, that effective Christian leaders don't just talk it, they walk it. It's very important how we live. <laughs> if we're not living consistent lives, we have no leadership, we have no ability to lead people. And so the first thing he says is, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord, look at verse 19, serving the Lord with all, what's the word? Humility. Humility. Why is that important? Because we learned last week that effective Christian leaders are not prideful, they're humble. He says in verse 20, 
how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Why is that important? Because we learned last week, leadership lesson number three, that effective Christian leaders ignore their fears and they speak the truth in love. And that's what Paul did for three years in Ephesus. Verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God, and look at this at the end of verse 21, and faith in our Lord, who? Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because we learned last week, leadership lesson four, that true effective leaders, they point people to Christ. They don't point to themselves. One of the things we're gonna to touch on at the end of the message, toward the end of the message, uh, later on this afternoon, is that cult leaders point to themselves. False prophets, false teachers, what do they do? They're constantly pointing to themselves. But true pastors, true evangelists, true, true missionaries, they're constantly pointing people to Jesus because we know that Jesus is Lord and we know that Jesus has all the answers. And so that was last week. This week we're picking it up in verse 22. So I'm gonna say it again like I do every weekend. right? If right now you're looking at a Bible, either electronically or the paper Bible in your hand, and you're looking at Acts 20, 22, would you say amen? amen? So important you follow along verse by verse. So Paul's continuing his address to the elders. He says in verse 22, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, literally bound by the Spirit. In other words, Paul felt obligated that he had to go to Jerusalem. The Spirit's leading me to Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. And so imagine, again, the room filled with pastors and elders and Paul saying, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit keeps telling me in every city that I've been to lately that trouble is waiting for me there. And so I made a decision. I made a decision to cancel my, my, my time in Jerusalem and I'm actually gonna go, I'm gonna go to Greece because in Greece, I saw some really nice beaches. And so I'm going to Greece. I'm gonna find a quiet beach somewhere. I'm gonna kick back. I'm in retirement, and I'm gonna work on my tan the rest of my life. Is that what Paul says in the scriptures here? No. He says, guys, I know trouble is waiting for me in Jerusalem. Look at verse 24. By the way, classic, classic verse in the New Testament right here, right now. He says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish. Please say the word finish. Some of you need that word. You need to finish what God's called you to do. That I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, guys, despite the danger, I'm going to Jerusalem, and here's why. Because it's not about my comfort. Life's not about our comfort. He says, life, it's not about my comfort. It's about his commission. It's not about my safety. It's about his salvation. It's not about my life. It's about his love. And it's certainly not about my will. It's about Christ's will in and through me. 
And so if you wanna fill in the blanks as we go along, here's leadership lesson number five. Leadership lesson number five on your note card. Effective Christian leaders surrender. Can you say that word out loud, surrender? Surrender. To Christ and his will for their lives. And by the way, I don't think that's a one-time thing. I think we gotta do that through our entire lives. Now I gotta make sure no one misunderstands. Quick clarification before I get to the main point of verse uh, 24. When Paul said in verse 24 that he didn't account his life of any value, please don't misunderstand and think that he thought his life was worthless, okay? No one's life is worthless. Nobody is worthless. You see, Paul, more than anybody, knew that he was made in the image of God. And because he was made in the image of God, he was not worthless, he was of great value. Here's what we need to know, ladies and gentlemen, I've taught this before, but I'll say it again, and that is, there's a difference between the word worthless and the word unworthy. Completely different words. And so since every human being has been made in the image of God, nobody's worthless. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody who's breathing air on planet Earth is priceless. They're made in the image of God. By the way, I really hope you let that sink into your head and your heart and you allow it to affect your feet and your mouth, especially how you and I treat people. The next time you're ready to take someone's head off, remember this person's made in the image of God. But since we're all sinners, we are all unworthy, not worthless, we all are unworthy of eternal life. And so the bad news is, because we're sinners, the image of God has been marred in our lives and we do deserve judgment. That's the bad news. The good news is Christ came with a heart of love to seek and save those who are lost. And he is dedicated to forgive our sins, completely restore God's image in our life and give us eternal life. This is why we're here. This is why we celebrate because Christ, our hero, wants to completely restore the image of God in our lives despite our sin How many of you guys believe that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ? It's gonna happen. And so Paul knew he was made in the image of God. And so once again, in verse 24, when he said, I don't account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, there's the key right there, that word myself, here's what he meant. He meant that I'm willing to surrender my life to danger and even death if that's what Christ wants me to do. He has a room full of pastors. He's addressing these pastors. I'm going to Jerusalem and here's the thing. I'm willing to surrender my life to danger. I'm willing to surrender my life, guys, even to death if that's the will of God for me. And by the way, it was God's will because Paul eventually will be martyred for the Christian faith. And so Paul refused to follow the culture of his day He refused to pamper himself and indulge himself and preserve his life. He was was committed to follow Christ's way. Christ, who said this in Mark 8, 35, whoever would save his life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will what? Save it. 
The words of our Lord Jesus Christ, right there. And so have you lost your life for Christ? In other words, have you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered to his will for you? Or are you directing your own life? See, there's a difference between the self-directed life and the Christ-directed life. Totally different. This is what the self-directed life looks like here. And so here we see um, gratitude to crew or campus crusade for Christ, but that circle there in the middle of the screen represents a person's heart. And then notice on the throne of that person's heart, there's a big S sitting on that throne. The S stands for self. And so in this self-directed life, self is seated, uh, seated on the throne of that person's heart, and where's Christ? <laughs> Where Christ should never be, right? He's down at the feet of self. And so because self is sitting on the throne of this person's life, this guy or this gal calls the shots for their own life. What does that mean? That means that this guy or this gal, you know, they decide if they're gonna go to college. They decide where they're gonna go to college. And by the way, um, I wanna encourage you, if you're gonna, if you'll call to college, make sure you pray about and research before you decide where you're gonna go because there's many universities in America that are godless. It's all about secular humanism and pluralism. And you know, some kids they go and they lose their faith. So be careful. But the self-directed life, I'll go to college where I wanna go, right? I'll get the degree that I wanna get, that I feel is right for me. It's gonna go with my gut. You know, I'm gonna take the job that I, I wanna take. I'm gonna live in the city I wanna live in. I'm gonna marry the guy or gal that I want to. Don't tell me what to do. If I wanna have kids, I'll have kids. How many kids? That, you know, that's up to me. If I wanna go to church, I'll go to church. If I wanna get involved in the church, I'll do it. Or not, right? I'll, I'll decide what I'm gonna do in my free time. You guys get the idea. And so, in this scenario, this person decides who they are, where they go, and what they do. But there's a big problem. How many of you guys know that we make lousy lords of our life? We were never meant to be the lord of our own life. Christ was meant to be the lord of our life. And so because self is sitting on the throne, it can lead to things like a legalistic attitude and impure thoughts and jealousy and guilt and worry and discouragement and critical spirit and frustration and aimlessness in life and fear and ignorance of, of your spiritual heritage and unbelief and disobedience and a loss of love for God, a loss of love for people, a poor prayer life and no desire, that's a key word there, desire, no desire at all to study the word of God. How many of you guys believe there's a better way? And so Christ told us, he doesn't leave us in Confusion, he doesn't leave us in the dark. So he, he, here's the words of the master right here, Mark 8, 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Those two words, I know they're difficult and they go exactly opposite of the message of our culture that we're inundated with every day of our lives. The culture says pamper yourself, indulge yourself. Preserve yourself, seek your own pleasure, be your own God. 
Jesus, the true God, comes and says, no, 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 you need to deny yourself and you need to take up your cross and you need to follow me. In other words, Jesus says, let me be the boss. And I believe he's saying that right now through me to some of you sitting out here or watching on Facebook or listening on the podcast. He's saying, let me be the boss of your life. Stop ruling your own life. Let me be in charge. Let me sit on the throne of your life. So this is what the Christ-directed life looks like right here. Jesus, praise the Lord, is sitting on the throne of this guy's heart, this gal's heart. And they are where they should be, at the feet of Jesus. And so what does their prayer life look like? Well, it's all about Lord. <laughs> Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go to college? Where do you want my degree to be in? What career do you want me to pursue? What job do you want me to take? What city do you want me to live in? What person do you want me to marry? Should I have kids? How many? Lord, it's up to you. I surrender to you, I surrender to your authority. It's not, am I gonna go to church? It's, Lord, which church in this city am I gonna choose to go to, put my roots down, and connect, and grow, and invest in that local church? There's no, am I gonna go to church or not? Why, because Christ is sitting on the throne, and Christ said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're gonna find out later in the text today that we're the church of God and he bought the church with his own blood. There's, no, there's no, none of this, I'm gonna sleep in and skip church or put Jesus on the back burner. No, because Jesus is sitting on the throne of this person's life. Lord, you decide what I'm gonna do with my free time, right? And because Christ is deciding who this person is, where they go, what they do, it leads to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It leads to a Christ-centered life a person who's, who's empowered by the Spirit, a person who introduces Christ to others, has effective prayer life, understands God's word, trusts God, obeys God. And by the way, this is not a perfect person and sanctification is a process and it is a lifelong journey with the Lord. But here's the thing, we're, we're not doing this, we're doing this with the Lord. And here's how he speaks. I've had this question twice already this weekend. I do wanna serve the Lord pastor, but how do I hear his voice? Right here. It's his word, right here. He speaks through the general principles of his word and the inner witness of the Holy Spirit on the specific things. General principles, specific. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. And so he'll speak to you, he'll let you know. You just gotta walk with him. And so there's only, there's only one person, by the way, who's ever lived the Christian life. His name is Jesus. And he wants to live it today through you. But it's not gonna happen unless he's sitting on the throne of our hearts. So Paul's addressing the elders. He says now, look at verse 25. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Guys, this is it. <laughs> Goodbye, sayonara. I know there's trouble in Jerusalem. I'm not gonna see you again. Verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink, there's that word again. I didn't shrink back in fear. I did not shrink from declaring you the what of God, 
the whole counsel of God. And so this goes back to last week, leadership lesson number three, and that is that effective Christian leaders ignore their fears, they speak the truth in love. That's what Paul did. He spoke the truth, let the chips fall. By the way, he spoke the truth in love. He wasn't a jerk, he wasn't rude about it. He spoke the truth in love because he had genuine concern for people, but nonetheless, he didn't pull any punches. And so he didn't just, as I said last week, share what people wanted to hear. He shared what they needed to hear. That's the whole counsel of God, God's whole purpose for our lives. And so none of the guys in this pastor's conference in this room could blame Paul if they or a member of their local church made a series of decisions that led to their demise. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm innocent. I shared the whole counsel of God, and so the blood's gonna be on your head. By the way, aren't you glad for leaders like Paul who just say it like it is, man, it's refreshing to me. But we gotta be humble enough to have that kind of leadership in our lives. Look at verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Now let me say that again. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. We gotta stop right there because, man, did you see the order here? First pay attention to yourself, then pay attention to the flock. So that leads you to your next leadership lesson if you're taking notes. Number six, effective Christian leaders take care of their own souls. Now, just follow the logic here, okay? One of the most important forms of leadership is self-leadership. Let me say that again. One of the most important forms of leadership is self-leadership. Here's why. Because if you can't lead yourself, how in the world can you lead anybody? So it starts with you. And it it starts with me. This is illustrated every time we go on a plane, right? How many times have we been sitting in a plane, on a runway, getting ready for takeoff, and then all of a sudden the flight attendant, he or she, gets up on the video, and they always say the same thing. I'll quote it. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. How many of you guys ever heard that, right? So why do they say put your own mask on first? Because if you pass out, you're not gonna be good to anybody, right? And so you secure your own mask first, you get that oxygen so that you're able to help others. Okay, so how does that apply to this point? Here it is. As leaders, we got to take care of our own souls first so that we're able to care for the souls of others. And so what does that mean? That means that each and every morning we've got to be at the feet of Jesus, praying to him, worshiping him, meditating in his word. Why is that important? Because every single morning as you're sitting on your couch or your back porch or going for a walk or whatever you do in your private time, it's as if every morning that spiritual oxygen mask comes flying down. I don't know about you, but I really need it in my life. And we put that thing on, right? 
And I really hope that your devotions aren't just another exercise of the intellect. I hope it's not like I'm just doing a study here so I can increase my knowledge of God's word. No, your time with the Lord needs to be a personal interaction with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a relationship. And we get into his presence and we get that spiritual oxygen of his love. We know we're loved. We, we know that he knows us. We know that he loves us. We know that he accepts us. We know that he affirms us in Christ. Amen. We know that he forgives us and he gives us grace and he gives us healing and he gives us peace and he gives us purpose. And I go on and on and on forever. This is what the Lord does as we interact with him every single day. And then because he takes such good care of our soul, hey, now we're ready. We got some oxygen now. We can go around and help other people who are in need. And that leads you to your next leadership. Lesson number seven, and that is that effective Christian leaders take care of others' souls. Others. In verse 28 again, he says, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock. Now look at this, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So by the way, quick side note here is that pastors and elders, hey, you don't call yourself. <laughs> you need to hear from the Lord. And so in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care, to shepherd is that word there, to care for the church of who? Who does the church belong to? Church of God. So who does this church, Calvary Port St. Lucie, belong to? God. Now look how much he loves you guys at the end of verse 28. The church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Of course, Jesus Christ, the God-man, came and he shed his blood in order to purchase you and I. But he says, I want you elders, I want you leaders, I want you to pay attention to all the flock. All right, so think through this with me. We have pastors and elders here at Calvary, quite a number of them. And so the pastors and elders here at, at Calvary, we look at this and we say, okay, all the flock, what does that mean? Well, it means all of you. Everybody who says, Calvary's my church home, you're the flock. And the pastors and the elders are to follow the directions of Jesus Christ as far as what do we do with the flock. All right, the classic passage, you don't have to turn there, I'll just reference it really quick. But the classic passage is John 21, when the risen Christ goes to Pastor Peter. He needs to restore Peter to ministry because Peter denied him three times. And he gets alone with Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. Now, if you're a pastor or an elder or a shepherd, that speaks to you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Uh, I don't really know why he's asking me this again, but yes, Lord, I love you. Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times. Why did he ask him three times? Peter denied him three times. He's restoring him to ministry. Hey, I know you denied me. I know you sinned. I love you. 
Now get to work. Pastor Pete, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And so this is one of the reasons why I pour myself into these expository messages every week because I feel this call from the chief shepherd to the under shepherd to feed the flock of God, the word of God, so that you guys are well-fed sheep. Okay, so that's just one of, one of the responsibilities. But all of us as pastors and elders here at Calvary, listen, this is why we pray for you in times of need, visit you in the hospital when you're sick, counsel you uh, when you are in, uh, in, in difficult times, encourage you when you're down, watch out for your souls. So for the pastors and elders in this local church, all the flock means all of you. But how many leaders do we have in the room? Raise your hand, right? I hope everybody raises their hand because we're all leaders at some level. So that means that you have a flock. You say, what, I'm not called to be a pastor. No, but you're called to be a leader. So you have a flock. Hey, moms, you know this, it's your kids. Dads and fathers, it's your wife and your kids, your family. Teachers, it's your classroom. Life group leaders, it's your life group. Ministry leaders around here, that's your, that's your team. That's your flock and a hundred other areas. And so identify, identify your flock and how many of you guys believe we're all in this together, right? And so what do you do? You, you, you pray for those people, you visit those people, you counsel those people, you encourage those people, you watch out for their souls. And when, when all of us are engaged in pastoral ministry, then not, never a perfect church, far from it, but it's a healthier church. Amen. And so... Man, take that responsibility, identify your flock and begin to lead them in ways that are pleasing to Christ. Now, speaking of watching out for each other's souls, look at verse 29. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, Right? Some of you pastors right now sitting in this pastor's conference. Again, Paul just said it like it is. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after who? Them. You see, that? there it is. True pastors and elders, they point to Christ. False teachers, false prophets, cult leaders, it's always pointing to them, their teachings. And so he says, hey, I, I know it's gonna happen. Verse 31, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years, okay, two years in the hall of Tyrannus, total three years in Ephesus, I did not cease night or day to admonish each and every one of you with tears. Okay, so what's the next leadership lesson? Well, number eight, effective Christian leaders protect others from harm. And can I quickly, it's not in the notes, but quickly just make a shout out how thankful I am for our police officers, our men and women in uniform, those who are serving in one of the branches of our military. Man, thank you, thank you, thank you for protecting us, for having our back. We really, really do appreciate each and every one of you. But here on a spiritual level, thinking about, about these, these biblical matters, Paul warns the Ephesian elders, he says, hey, fierce wolves are gonna come in among you and they're not gonna spare the flock. And did you guys know that Jesus warned us 
of false prophets and false teachers as well. So, so if you're with me now, say amen. amen. Okay, so listen to the, the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter seven, verse 15. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you, very interesting, he, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. What a sobering picture, right? The Lord has painted for us in Matthew 7, 15. By the way, how many wolves do you see there? Yeah, there's more, there's more in there. You never know how many are in there, actually. So in all seriousness, in, in the future, there's gonna pe be people who come into our church and they're gonna look like sheep. They're gonna smile real big. They're gonna say religious things. They're gonna join a life group. They're gonna join a ministry team, but underneath the facade, they're gonna turn out to be wolves. And you may say, well, how, how will we know? Because at some point, they're gonna start eating sheep. That's how you know. How do you tell the difference between a wolf and a sheep? It's very, very simple. You just look at their mouth and see if there's any blood. Because sheep don't eat sheep. Wolves eat sheep. I mean, how many of you on National Geographic Television or any of the nature channels, how many of you have ever seen a lamb chasing a lamb, <laughs> tackling that thing and just chowing down, right? None of us have ever seen a lamb chasing a lamb, but we've all, we've, we've all seen this picture, right? I feel sorry for that brother or sister. Jesus said, beware Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. He says in verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. What does that mean? That means that at some point a wolf will start acting like a wolf, attacking people through gossip and slander. Can I just please encourage you guys? Don't engage in gossip. It doesn't have to spread. You can be the one who stops it. So if someone's talking about somebody else in a negative way, please don't pass that on to someone else and definitely don't make it a prayer request, you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> don't do that. Don't, don't slander people. You know how much slander goes on in our nation today, especially in this culture today, where negative stuff is said about people that are just not true. And so put yourself in their shoes. How would you like your reputation to be damaged on a lie? So don't engage in gossip, don't engage in slander, but wolves will start acting like wolves, right? Attacking people, tearing people down instead of building them up, ripping people off financially. This is sad, but it happens in some churches. People will come in, and after a while, they make some relationships, and then they share a sob story that's filled with lies, and they're borrowing money over here, and then they're going over here, and they're sharing a sob story filled with lies, and they're borrowing some money over here, and they're going over here, and you guys get the picture, and all of a sudden they're making all this money, but no one knows because it's separate groups of people. This is what wolves do. They come in to take advantage of the flock. Why? For themselves. They come in and they attack, they tear down, they rip people off financially, they seduce people sexually. Did you guys know that not everybody who comes to church is there because they love Jesus and wanna worship him and hear the word? 
Did you know that some people will come to church for one reason? They're looking for someone to get in bed. Who can I seduce sexually? And they go from a little relationship, right, to relationship, and it's all about them, it's all about their needs. Can, can I just encourage you about something? If you know of anybody ever at this church who's ripping people off sexually, can you please come and tell one of the pastors and elders, because we would really love to approach that person and in love, take our shepherd staff and just beat the snot out of them, <laughs> okay? We really would. And, and obviously I'm kidding, a little bit, right? But man, this, this happens. They come in, they rip people off financially, they come in, they rip people off sexually. They come in and they oppose the church leadership. They come in, they, they, they start teaching doctrine that doesn't line up with the word. Now how in the world are we ever gonna discern a false teacher and false doctrine if we don't know the word? This is why millions of Americans are swallowing the words of false prophets and false teachers because they don't know the word. And it sounds good, but does it pass the Bible test? <laughs> that's the question. And so knowing the word, hey, that's why verse 32 is so important. Look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the, what? The word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so leadership lesson number nine, if you're taking notes, that effective Christian leaders, they're edified by God's word. This is their, their standard, this is their foundation. It's all about God's word. And so what we do is we edify ourselves in God's word and the more we're edified in God's word, the more discernment we have to spot a false teacher who's teaching uh, false things. And so I, I, I wanna ask you a question. How strong is your grip on the word of God? Now just think through this with me, and I, I am gonna go five minutes over, okay? I apologize in advance, but you will see the Super Bowl today, I promise you. <laughs> I'm not gonna be like Paul going till midnight, but stay with me, this is important. How strong is your grip on God's word? I marked my fingers this morning. Um, I washed my hands, so it's almost gone, but H R. M-M-A. That stands for hear, read, meditate, memorize, and apply. Five disciplines that we really need to do in order to have a strong grip on God's word. In other words, if I'm just, one finger, if I'm just hearing God's word, that's the extent of my intake of God's word, you, you answer me, how strong of a grip do I have here? Not, not, not too much. And so, Mike, try to take the Bible from me. How easy was that, right? One finger, no strong grip. But I decide I'm gonna start hearing and reading the Bible. I'm gonna try to do this. Try, try to get the Bible from me. Oh, he got it. I still don't have a strong grip. But now I'm, I'm gonna try to start hearing, reading, and meditating now on God's word. All right. Go for a brother. Oh, he got it. Ladies and gentlemen, here's my point. I think it's obvious. It's not until we hear, read, meditate, memorize, and the thumb is the A. 
apply the word of God that we really have a strong grip on the Bible, right? That's when we have the strong grip. Now, Mike, try to get the Bible. You're a big guy. I know you can throw me five worlds back, all right? So take it easy on me, but he's not, he's not getting that Bible. Thanks, Mike, for uh, helping me illustrate this point. And so, hey, all of us, we need to hear the word. Can you say the word here? here. And so I want you to be here every weekend to hear the word. But I want you to hear it during the week, too. Right? As you're cleaning your house, as you're mowing your lawn, as you're driving to West Palm to go to work or whatever. Redeem the time. The days are evil. Get the word of God in. And so that, you can do that through podcasts. Two guys that I really love, David Guzik and Greg Laurie. And so you can go to your podcast app and you can download Enduring Word and listen to David Guzik teach the Word of God. He's the solid Bible expositor. I really wanna get him at this church. Maybe at the end of this year, we'll see what his schedule looks like. So David Guzik, right? Oh, they're gonna hold me to that promise now. <laughs> Pastor Will is making a note in his phone. Great, get David Guzik. And then uh, Greg Laurie is a new beginning app. And so a 30-minute daily radio program by Greg Laurie. He's got another app where he also teaches through the Word of God. Uh, Calvary PSL, right here, we have our own app. Five years of teaching, and so there's Ephesians, Corinthians, Romans, Revelation, Mark, of course, Acts. It's all there. It's all ready. And so hear the Word of God. But if you want to further strengthen your grip, read. Can you say the word read? Read, read it. And so some people, some Christians, the extent of their Bible intake once a week at church. Okay, so what would happen to your pastor if I only ate one meal a week? I ate Sunday morning, but I'm not allowed to eat again until next Sunday morning. I'd be so weak, so frail, so hungry, so angry, hangry, right? <laughs> How many of you guys believe this is spiritual food? We need it every day. So read the word. You can go to blueletterbible.org, click on devotionals, and download the one-year plan, the two-year plan, whatever fits your schedule. But, but just start reading the word of God. So very, very important. But don't stop there. If you wanna further strengthen your grip, meditate. I, I love this point. Um, you guys have heard me quote this before, but in Psalm 1, 1 through 3, the psalmist says, blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. What's the result? He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water who yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he or she does will prosper. That's the result of meditating on the word. All right, so what does it mean to meditate? Well, it means you sit with your legs crossed and your arms out, and you close your eyes and you say, mmm, right? No, the Hebrew word is hagah, and it literally means to think about it, to imagine, I like this, and to mutter, mutter like under, under a, like a whisper. You're saying it out loud, muttering the word of God. That's cool. Amen. And so as you do that, you gotta slow down. 
I, I did read through the Bible, I think in, I, I'm gonna finish uh, one more book and it'll be, I think, 13 months to read through the whole Bible. I will never do that again. Way too much. I wanna sila. I wanna think about it. I wanna slow down. How many of you guys love, like steak? Right? Have you ever been in a steakhouse and you take that bite, it's so juicy and so good. It's like, you gotta slow down your chewing, right? It's like, mmm, mmm. All right, do that with the word. A couple days ago, I was in John 15. Talk about juicy, right? I am the vine, you're the branches. He who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. And I, I read through it and then I went back and I, I read it again. It's meditation. So good, but don't stop there. If you wanna strengthen your grip even more, memorize. Memorize those certain passages, you know, that mean a lot to you, that the Lord has used in your life to help you through the storm. Because the, 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 the stats are out. After 24 hours, we may only remember 5% of what we hear, 15% of what we read, 35% of what we meditate on, but 100% of what we memorize. And some of you guys are gonna spend two, three hours today watching a Super Bowl. Can't you just spend 15 minutes and memorize a verse that means a lot to you to work on your spiritual life? One of my favorite that the Lord has used in my life more, more than once, many times, in difficult times, is when Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish, neither will anyone pluck them out of my hand. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one will pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I can't tell you how many times going through a difficult thing, I'll just say those verses in my mind and the Spirit will minister to me because it's encouraging. And so do that. Find some verses that mean something to you and commit them to memory, but don't stop there. Do the thumb. <laughs> That's when you really get the strong grip. So guys like Mike can't take the Bible out of your hand and it's, it's apply. And so let the word of God, right, go from your head to your heart to your feet and, and, and live it out. And then Jesus says, when the storms of life come, your house will stand strong because you're not just a hearer, you're a doer of the word. And so we gotta finish this up, all right? And so let me, um, let me do that. Verses 33 through 35 says, Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands of mine uh, ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Verse 35, in all things I have shown you by Working hard, I love that. We must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. All right, here's your last leadership lesson. Effective Christian leaders are givers, not just takers. Paul said, when I was with you guys, I didn't covet your stuff, I didn't covet your gold, your silver, your clothes. I went and worked. <laughs> He made tents to provide for his own needs. Now, of course, the scriptures teach in the New Testament that sometimes Paul received financial help from Christians. That's totally biblical. Read 1 Corinthians 9 other passages. But other times, he just went to work. He worked hard. And as he worked hard, 
He earned money and then he took part of that money and he gave it to people who were genuinely in need. And Paul, I think he, Paul was a pretty happy person. Why? Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So what does the word blessed mean? Happy. If you're down, discouraged, you're fighting the blues this afternoon, ask yourself, am I a giver? Am I giving my time? Am I giving my talents? Am I giving my treasure? Because I tell you what, the most miserable people are Christians who are self-centered and just takers and not givers. Give to the Lord and see what he does in your life. So the address of Paul to the elders is over. It's time for him to move on to Jerusalem. And so it says in verse 36 that when he had said these things, I love this, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. So I can see it there, the, the shore of Miletus, Paul and all the elders all kneeling down. The ship is in the distance. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and they're all weeping. Why? Because this is a true leader, and he impacted their lives for Christ. So I wanna encourage you guys as we wrap up today to evaluate your own leadership. To take these 10 principles last week and this week and look at them. Spend some time with them. Ask the Lord prayerfully, Lord, how can I improve as a leader? See what he does in your life, amen?